Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. I'm your host, Michelle Burrard, founder and CEO of Michelle Burrard LLC and Urban Book Editor. And I'm really happy to share this hour with you where we examine all of those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now we are approaching the holidays and a lot of families, including mine, are making decisions about whether we should get together in person for Thanksgiving. No matter what you decide, just be safe. And if you decide not to have an in-person gathering, make sure you're connecting with your family. Call them, FaceTime them, get on a Zoom call, whatever. Just don't let people be alone right now. It's already that time of the year that can be very stressful and challenging. We've got a lot going on. Make sure we stay connected. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel. And though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we're here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guest on the October 23rd show, author and entrepreneur, Janae Marie. You can connect with Janae Marie at her website and on social media. If you miss that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the October 23rd show at the somewhere in the middle podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message, and I hope you guys will share it with the kids. But it's not just for the kids. You guys know how I feel about this. Sometimes we all need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Geniuses Common Movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, I think you're going to really enjoy this week's guest. I learned so much from him, and I know you guys will just pick up all these great nuggets he left. His knowledge and experience is going to help a lot of people, especially those who are trying to make moves in today's economy. Khalil Maman is a certified professional contracts manager, certified federal contracts manager, and certified commercial contracts manager. Khalil has been working as a managing director with Dynamic Contracts Consultants, LLC, for more than five years. Khalil holds a master's in law from Chicago Kent College of Law in Chicago, an MBA from KC College of Management in India, a BS from University of Bombay in India, and he is a member of the Bar Council of Maharashtra, also in India. He has legal, compliance, and procurement experience for more than 25 years. He is personally affiliated with the National Contract Management Association, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, State Bar of Texas, American Contract Compliance Association, American Bar Association, North American Procurement Council, South Asia Chamber of Commerce, and World Chamber of Commerce, Texas. Khalil works as a procurement liaison, assessing product value, negotiating favorable agreement terms and conditions and securing contracts for his clients, and in compliance with FAR and DFAR. He also specializes in drafting, analyzing, and writing proposals, reviewing procurement contracts, and mitigating and minimizing risks for his clients. So I'd like to welcome... Khalil Maman to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. Khalil, thank you for being on the show with me. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Khalil, I don't know if you've heard already, but I like to start my show asking two questions. And it's because I really believe that it helps us to kind of get into what you're all about. So if you're all set, I'll ask the questions. Sure, go ahead. I'm ready. All right. Khalil Maman. Who are you, and how did you become who you are today? Well, originally I'm from India, and um, I'm an attorney from India, but been in the U.S. for a long time, for almost 32 plus years. 
and been working in government. I mean, working in contractual field for more than thirty plus years. Worked for uh, the office of the attorney general. Worked in the commercial sector for Shell Oil Company and other major corporations like Shell, ConocoPhillips, Apache. And I've been we've been I've been doing this for federal government contracts for the last six years. By profession, I'm a certified professional contracts manager, certified federal contracts manager, certified commercial contracts manager uh, with a master's in law from Chicago King College of Law and with an MBA as well as a law degree from India. And I enjoy what I do. We basically work, have a, we have a team that comprises of attorneys, legal consultants and CPAs, and we work with major corporations as well as the small businesses to assist them to procure federal government and state government contracts. And we work with compliance solutions with major corporations such as Airbus and other major corporations as such. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. I, I, I mean, just so you know, I take notes as we're talking and I couldn't even keep up with that list of certifications and degrees and whatnot. Yeah. So what inspired you to get into this field and to get all of this education? Well, I believe uh, when you are a newcomer and when you're coming especially from a third world country, that's my belief is America is a land of opportunity. And the only thing that could take you up and get you at a good prospectus life in the United States is by education. I mean, I, you will be surprised, my entire family is highly, highly educated by such. Uh, even my uncles or my, actually my maternal family is the one who, that's how we immigrated to US probably like around 70 to 80 years ago from India. And that's how we, and they're quite highly educated. And I believe education is the best way to take you up in your lifespan. I mean, my son is graduate from UT, my daughter is a graduate from U of H, and my wife is a pharmacist by profession, and that's where I am. That's awesome. So you came from India how long ago? Uh, like a 1987, to be very precise. Mm -hmm. and, and how did you find it when you first got here? How did you find the United States? Actually, my maternal family, as I told you, my maternal family uh, was, has been living over here. And I had no plans to come to U.S., to be honest with you. I had a very good life back home in India. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, when we had the opportunity to immigrate, my father was a very good practicing lawyer back home in India. And when he decided to migrate, uh, well, we had the opportunity to get a green card, to be honest with you, when we because my grandfather was been living over here for the last probably like 50, 60 years. And mm -hmm. that's how he sponsored my mother. And that's how we came to U.S. Okay. And well, what your mother decided to come and then yeah, my mother the whole family decided, decided well, we're not yeah. going to let her go by herself. We got to hang on to her. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I so, mean, yes, that's exactly what had happened. <laughs> So what, when you first got here, um, well, what'd you think? I mean, were you it like- was a, It was a culture shock, complete culture shock. You'd not believe me. I mean, it was, I mean, it was uh, the way you dress up, the way you live. I mean, in India, where, where, I mean, I'm talking about like around 30, 40 years ago, it was not that modern. It was not, technology was not so advanced. I mean, uh, it was it was a complete different. Uh, I mean, shock when I came to America. I, I not, you don't believe me. I mean, this is a real story. I mean, when you put a perfume over here, we identify like a men's perfume or a women's perfume, right? Mm -hmm. But over back home, we just put the perfume. That's it. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't know. I didn't know that. So basically, the concept, uh, some of the concepts that we have here just don't even exist there. It doesn't even exist over there. And you don't believe me. It so happened one day. I mean, I just put. I mean, coming from India, I just knew in this country, and I just put the perfume and walked around. And I went, basically went to my uncle's office, and he's. I mean, he was. I mean, when I, I, I the first time when I came in, I, I moved to Philadelphia. 
That's from mm -hmm. my maternal family. And I took the subway and headed off to downtown. And I just put the perfume and I walked into the train. And everybody was looking at me and I said, what's wrong with me? What, I mean, <laughs> what, and, and I didn't realize I put a woman's perfume on it. Or that it mattered. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it just smelled good. And you it put just it smells on. good. That's all you need. That's it. That's interesting. So what other kinds of things did you find were significantly different from India here? I mean, at that time, definitely the, the cleanliness was one of the thing. I mean, the weather was, was really good. I mean, people were very, um, I mean, in India, I mean, with the world's biggest population is exceeding, exceeding China. I mean, you can imagine there's so many people in the trains. And I was like, when I went from Upper Derby, Philadelphia to downtown, I remember that. I mean, people were very decent enough to, I mean, you had the right to walk in, I mean, there was no rush and hush and everything, <laughs> nothing. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, over there in India, when you want to get into the train, you don't have to get into the train. People will push you into the train. Is it just because it's that many people? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it, yes. Wow. I mean, if you, if you can get into the train, I can lay a bet with you, how to, you can never be able to get into the train. That's wild to me. So you have to understand because you're talking to a southerner. So we're not even used to that. With I know. It's I go to New York and I'm thrown off my game because I don't even <laughs> understand that level of, of congestion and crazy. I mean, I would say New York. I mean, New York is, I would say, like around that, maybe 200 times better. Uh, trains are 200 times better than Indian trains. I mean, oh, Indian trains. I mean, even I can take you to one street and I'll say, I'm going to meet you at the other end. If you can walk through the whole street and show it to me, I'll lay a bet on you. Wow. That's amazing to me. Just yes. that many people. Oh, so yeah. how does that change the way that you like even work here? Like you were an attorney at back home and yeah. you came here and you started working. What about some of the things when you started working in your new jobs? It was totally different shock, to be honest with you, because over, when I first I came to Philadelphia and I worked at, uh, I was worked at, I did some odd jobs in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Houston because, and you don't believe me, and the concept of Houston, moving to Houston was like, you know, like all the cowboys and the horses riding <laughs> around in Texas. That was the concept. And one of my, uh, uh, my uh, paternal uncle was living over here and he still lives in Houston. And he said, why did you just kind of look at it? Just have a visit for it. Don't stay over here. I said, that's fine because the, the, my concept was they were all cowboys and they were like all the horses. And I said, I don't know how to ride a horse, man. So he said, no, just come have a look at it. Okay. So I said, and you don't believe me. I flipped it to Houston and I liked it so much. So I said, oh, well, I'm not going back. Houston's a great city, man. I know. And, and after coming over here, I went to a paralegal school. And, uh, I, and you don't believe me, as soon as I graduated, I got a part-time job working for Shell. So that was my That's beginning. That's beautiful. Yeah, and then I worked for Shell, went to work for three and a half years as a contract employee. Then I went to work for Attorney General of Texas for eight years. And then I got back into Shell again as a Shell employee for six years. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. So... But it was diff initially it was very difficult, but you have to get used to it and you have to accept new challenges and everything. I mean, but that's the way, I mean, I think it was better. I don't regret leaving India now, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating because, you know, our concept of Indian culture, I think is very limited, just like you had a fairly limited concept of like Houston, for example. Yeah. What did you expect when you you know, when you said, okay, we're going to the United States, what were you expecting when you got here? Well, I mean, I don't know what to expect. I, I didn't expect much, to be honest with you, but I, because the thing is, in India, the life is different, and I had a very comfort life in a way that you don't have to work, you don't have to do your laundry, you don't have to wash your dishes, you don't have to do anything over there. You have the servants that take care of everything for you, but over here, it's like, oh my God, you got to clean the apartment. Okay, go buy that thing for you. You got to wash the dishes, go wash the dishes. You know, like, so, I mean, there's nobody who's going to come and help me. All I have to do is I have to do it by myself. That's the bottom line. So that was a big shock for me in one way. But 
it wasn't that bad, but I looked, I mean, there were pros and cons of both things, but mm -hmm. I, I think I enjoyed it, what I did over here. And then I went back to home again after I first time I immigrated to US in 87, then back to India again in 88. And then I basically been over there in Houston. So, but initially it was difficult. Yes, it was yeah. very difficult, especially uh, it was very, very difficult when my father decided to migrate and sold his love of his business. Uh, and then he migrated to US. Okay. And he had a hard time living over here. So, and he decided to go to Houston too, or did he stay in Philadelphia? Well, he, came, he came to Houston. Yes, he came to Houston. Okay. Yeah, no, he came to use. We actually, to be honest with you, we were living in a joint family. And that's, an, that's a culture of the joint family that still exists with us. So when you say a joint family, you mean multiple generations living together? Myself, I, I was married, my brother, my mm -hmm. parents at the same time too. And we, we had like a four bedroom house we rented initially because we didn't have like credit line mm -hmm. to buy a house. But that's how we lived in a joint family. Oh, okay. So it's, it was basically three families living together in one house. Yes. And you'd not believe me when I was living in joint family where I grew up, mm -hmm. we, there were 21 people living in one house. Wow. Yes. <laughs> three but that's, but that's, that's considered, that's considered part of the culture. So that's yeah, normal, that's right? Culture, yes. My grandparents, my parents, my uncles, my aunts, and everybody, 21 people living in and the houses were not too big, to be honest with you. We had like an only, I would say, five-bedroom house. It mm -hmm. was not even a house. It was like an apartment, a, a New York apartment. No, not a New York apartment. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And you, and you know the value of those houses now is, for those houses in India? Hmm. You're talking approximately three to five million dollars. Really? Yes, for 2,500 square feet. Wow. Yes, it's so expensive. That's amazing. So, and what city is that? Is that in Mumbai? It's Where's Mumbai, it? yes. Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, India's on my list of places I want to go, by the way. You, I mean, yeah, you should go. I mean, you should go visit Agra. I mean, it's good, it's good for sightseeing. Yeah. And specifically, if you go to South India and backwaters, oh, mm -hmm. it's gorgeous. Well, I've seen beautiful photographs. I've seen yeah. amazing culture. Yeah. I've also seen a lot of poverty, but you see that everywhere you go in the world, right? Yeah. Everywhere. I mean, we have situations, maybe not as crowded, but certainly um, as challenging just somewhere down south, you know, Mississippi and Alabama even. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious. So the work that you do, um, you're working mainly now in, is this government contracting where you're helping other companies get the contracts? Yes. And, and what kind of companies are you working with? We work with small businesses too. Like, I mean, we work with small businesses to prepare contracts. And we are also forming teaming agreements now. To be honest with you, we will be forming teaming agreements probably by next week. Uh, what exactly we do is like there are multiple companies or multiple corporations who want to get into federal government contracts and they don't know how to get into it. Mm -hmm. So we assist them to procure the contracts, we write proposals, we assist them to get grants and everything. We do price analysis, we do post pre-award and post-award analysis for them and tell them that this is, if you put the price in it, this is the competitive range and it's, it's going to be a final protocol of them technically to identify, to put the price or whatever they are interested in, mm -hmm. but we will definitely work with them to procure contracts and we work with major corporations, specifically with Airbus and KBR uh, in compliance solutions too. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. that's like making sure the planes are safe. Yeah. No, no, no. Let's say for example, I mean, I don't know whether you're familiar with this article eight, uh, section 889 of NDA. Uh, where the security cameras are being banned right now, okay? Because these security cameras, let's say, for example, you have the dome cameras installed everywhere, everywhere, right? right? Mm -hmm. These cameras are made in China. There are only six companies in the whole world. Five of them are in China and one is Siemens in Germany. Wow. And the cost of this camera technically, what, if you get it from China, it would cost like 180 to 200 bucks. And if you get it from Siemens, it's approximately $800 and which is still not available. Wow. 
So the point right now is uh, under the new law by itself, it's passed under 2020, NDA, it's known as NDA National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, all the subcontractors at the lowest tier has to have to remove those cameras. But the point here is if who's, how are you gonna replace it with the new cameras and who's gonna pay that for the cost to remove and replace the old ones out? Mm -hmm. And there's none availability. So what happens in the situations is the prime is responsible. Like say for example, prime is the Airbus and prime is responsible at the, for all this stuff. Like Airbus has like around 5,000, 3,000 subcontractors. Mm -hmm. And if the subcontractors at the lowest tier does not remove those cameras, the prime loses the contract. Oh my, okay. And say for example, the prime has a contract for like around $3 billion or $3 trillion. And this is an Airbus, you're talking with Boeing technically. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, if the lowest tier does not remove those cameras, Boeing is responsible for it. So what happens in that situation? So we basically draft the flow down clauses technically, what we call them as, and we assist them to, to be in compliance with those flow down clauses because otherwise the prime can be in big trouble. Right. So that's how we assist with them in uh, NDA compliance, flow down clauses, CAP, counterfeit avoiding acceptance program. So it's a multiple projects that we work in compliance and then we work with multiple small businesses too at the same time to procure government contracts too. So I'm, I'm finding this fascinating about the cameras because our- Yes, that, that's, you're gonna check it out. That, uh, that's fascinating. <laughs> well, no, the reason it's fascinating to me is, is that something that was done under one of the executive orders or was it yes. actually, a, yeah. So it, isn't it, it there happened, some it, debate? It happened actually last year. It's known, it's known as John as McCain Act. The John McCain Act, why is that? It was, it was Senator John McCain, basically, it was Senator McCain, basically, who was after this, uh, I don't know why it's known as NDA, National Defense Authorization Act, for this McCain, uh, John S. McCain, National Defense Authorization Act. Really? Okay. So, yeah. but this was, but it was actually executed through an executive order or did it go through the Congress and get all the... Uh, no, I think it went to executive order. So my question then is, isn't there some discussion about whether or not all of these executive orders are actually enforceable and legal? I don't wanna get into that, to be honest. Well, no, the reason I ask is because if they're not, not I'm, I, is, there is a discussion though, right? That's taking yeah. place. Or, uh, so I ask not to put you on the spot because you're a government contractor person. So you, I know you can't <laughs> really discuss, but I ask it from this perspective. Um, what happens if down the line somebody says all this was not legal then what happens i mean i don't think so i mean it is enforceable to be honest with you at this point of time but i don't know how much it's going to be enforceable and what's going to be the repercussions that will take place not now but eventually maybe two or three years down the road mm -hmm. what's going to happen what's going to happen if the if the sitting government changes and the new government comes into effect, what's gonna be the implementation effect? Because specifically a, a majority of the subcontractors, I mean, we deal with, oh my God, they are so frustrated, so frustrated. Yeah. Because you can imagine, I mean, I mean, every building, any, every office, every warehouse, everybody there are done cameras and those cameras are banned for security reasons. So how are we going to replace them? Who's going to pay them for the replace them? And the cameras are not available. So what's going to happen? And that's really my question. So it, there's no plan in place is what I'm hearing no. that you are aware of. Yeah, you don't believe me. I'm writing a proposal right now. I'm going to submit it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that 889 section NDA is government has come up with that you have to be uh, uh, submitted with the uh, with the proposal by itself that you will be in compliance with Section 889. Can you believe that? Wow. I mean, I have, to give, really it in, I have to give it in writing. I think that's really interesting. So potentially this could happen with anything. I mean, we're talking about dome cameras, but this is one of the challenges I would imagine of I mean, I, I did government contracting many, many, many moons ago, not in anything nearly as complex as what you guys do. But I, I would imagine that this level of uncertainty makes it really hard to do business right now in some ways. In some ways, yes, you're right. 100% I, I don't, I mean, I agree with you. 
the way it's going right now, definitely. I mean, but the thing is, nobody knows what's going to happen. I mean, I don't know, to be honest with you, what's going to happen, what's going to be the, what's going to happen six months down the road and what's going to happen in the new, I mean, the new government comes in or what, well, I don't know, to be honest with you. And that, but that could impact any kind of business. We're talking about dome cameras, but, you know, just from a, a contracting perspective, no, that, there could those, be... Those contracts are more enforceable at this point of time, not in the commercial sector, but basically more only in the federal government sector. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know, it's not, because, I mean, there were no substitution available in the commercial sector, what you're going to do. Right. I mean, how are you going to enforce it? Well, yeah. So theoretically, we could have two sets of rules taking place right now. That's correct. Only for yeah. folks I mean, who are working directly with the federal government or indirectly through the federal government and others who are corporate, maybe not. It's not that much enforceable. And it's not that much enforceable even in the state government sector. It's enforceable really? only in the federal government. So is that because it's an executive order or is that because there's just so much uncertainty out there and the, the equipment isn't available? Uh, I don't know if it's an executive order, that's for sure. It's an act that was basically been passed. I think it's act is passed by, by the government. Uh, it's known as John S. McCain Act. But I think it's, it was, I think it is, it's a part of an executive order as well. Let me, hold on, let me, let, me check, let me confirm with you. I can give it to you right now. John S. McCain Act. I think this is absolutely fascinating because, well, because I think a lot of people don't really understand how our government works and how it can impact business. Yeah, it was, only, it was passed by Congress, it's a Congress. Okay, so this is actually a law passed by Congress yeah. that is Congress. right yeah. now, yeah. I would presume that there are certain, there's a certain amount of time that companies would have to comply with this though. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's going to go into effect in 2020, but due to COVID, it, it was supposedly so to go into effect in the mid of actually 2019, but I don't know how, it's not enforceable that much. It was passed in August of 2018. Oh. And due to COVID, it's, it's hanging on, but, but it's, it's enforceable strictly under the federal government, con the federal government contracts, definitely yes. Got it. Yeah, I mean, it's highly enforceable. And, and it's the same thing like TikTok, what's going on with TikTok now? <laughs> well, and that's another, that's another interesting question. I mean, is that actually enforceable, the whole TikTok thing? I, I mean, yeah, what's going to happen? But TikTok got sold for $300, $400 million right now, recently. Well, but to an American company, right? I, I yeah. thought that they were trying to form a partnership with an American company so that they could stay. I mean, I don't know what the whole deal is. <laughs> well, I think this is a really fascinating discussion about how um, business can be impacted by government rules and especially in a time of uncertainty like this. So are yeah. there other areas where you see these kinds of challenges for businesses during, during COVID? How has COVID impacted your clients, you know, I mean, generally speaking. To be honest with you, COVID has helped us a lot in one way. Really? How's that? Yeah. Everybody wants to get, who has the money? Ah, so everybody wants a government contract. Who, who has the money? Right. Everybody wants a government contract. I mean, I was just reading an article like around two days ago, and they say 83,000 new companies have been formed who are willing to supply PPE products. Can you believe that? Wow. 83,000. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, get, I get phone calls, maybe I get texts or emails or phone calls. I mean, oh, we, want, we, have, we have PPE manufacturer. I said, how the hell can you manufacture in the US? <laughs> You're importers, say from China. Right. And are they even allowing um, PPEs in from China? Because I understood that, for example, the uh, what is it? The KN95 mask was being? No, it was restriction only for a limited time. Everything is okay. okay. I mean, certain can, I mean, yeah, the N95 basically were the one that, or which is the company, uh, certain, there's only N95 restriction, but other than that KN95 and other things, you can bring it in, but you have to be in compliance with the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, oh, I forgot that. 
but there are op I mean, and, yet, and there are still open requisitions. I see it on a daily basis, daily basis, for further government PP products. They're so, how are people even able to manufacture overseas if if there's so much? I mean, is it just that China? But is so China's considered to be wide open for business again? Oh yeah, come on! I mean, everything comes from China. Who's going to put a trade embargo on them? Well, no, what I mean is I thought that they were having labor issues too because of COVID. Is that largely over? Like they don't have the shortage of labor anymore? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, they, they get it manufactured in Taiwan or they get it manufactured in Korea or they basically mm -hmm. get it anywhere else. But I mean, China is the cheapest manufacturer and supplier to the whole world as we speak. So you're saying that now is the time to get into government contracting. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, that's what people are getting to it. Definitely, yes. Okay. So y'all heard it here first. You know, everybody should be getting into government contracting. How long do you think the government will be able to print money to pay everybody, though? That's the question I have. <laughs> that's what the government is paying. I mean, unless until we don't get a second stimulus package. So we'll just hang on. So... This is, this is really interesting. So are, you're getting these calls from all these companies. Some of them are brand new importers. We're calling them importers, not manufacturers, yeah, right? Because that's, that's what they really are. That's so what yes. are they actually, are these new manufacturers or new importers actually getting government contracts or what's going on? Are they just kind of falling <laughs> by the wayside against the big now, this this is a big fraud going on now to be honest with you what the what companies have been doing i mean besides the ppe products i mean they were just talking to one of the um, and i don't know exactly which location but i mean city of houston i mean if you want to get into government contract and register a new company which the process was taking like only five or six days now it's taking months and maybe six to eight months just to get yourself registered and I have, um, basically, we have a problem registering two of our clients. They've been in business for the last two years, but still we cannot get them registered and approved in the federal database. It's because the new companies are coming up just to collect the grants. Oh. And fake companies are coming up. Okay. And identifying them that they're being in business for a long time. I mean, like I, let's say, for example, I mean, you can imagine City of Houston is giving out grants for like $21 million. And so people are just forming companies left and right just to get the grant. Right, right. There's a lot of fraud going on. And if oh, it's yeah, happening in Houston, it's got to be happening everywhere. It's going to be happening everywhere. Yes, that's a big time fraud going on. And specifically with the federal government too at the same time. Specifically with, I mean, like, you can imagine 83,000 companies coming up from making PPE products. Come on, man. There's not a single manufacturer in the U.S. That's what I was like. There had, I mean, I thought we had, what, one company that does this here in the I U.S.? Know that, I mean, you, and there's one lady, to be honest with you, she is a manufacturer. She's an original manufacturer, and she's from Hawaii, okay? Oh, she's wow. Okay. She contacted me. She, she said, can you help me write a grant and everything? I said, that's fine. She's the only manufacturer coming out of a woman-owned small business, a minority-owned small business, mm -hmm. And she just wanted a grant for $300,000 to run the new operation for making a uh, uh, mask, okay? Until uh -huh. today, she was not able to get it. Wow. <laughs> that is so, that's really disappointing. But it also shows how the people who know how to work the system can get in there and really kind of mess over small businesses that are legit, right? Yeah, I mean, the legit companies cannot get it, and there are fake companies just pop, mom and pop coming up, and then getting grants, and they're getting loans, and they're getting PPE loans, and they are, uh, you can name them, they're getting everything out of it. Well, what would, would you, as someone who's been in this business for a while, have some recommendations? You know, like if somebody did have a legit business, they've been in business for a while, and they wanted to do something in this space, what would you recommend to them? that they do to get their business in there? I mean, let me be honest with you. I mean, you don't know. I mean, I personally believe that federal government is a very good opportunity. And I always tell my client, if you've been in the commercial sector, I always recommend do not leave the commercial sector. All I want you to just give it a try to procure contract in a government sector. 
You'd not believe me. Uh, um, and I, there are around five or six of my clients, specifically two of them. I know them in very great depth. I mean, this company is an IT consulting company, and they've been doing government contracts for the last 12 years, okay? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what would the turnover would be? Just give mm -hmm. me a wild guess of your life. I, I have, I can't even. <laughs> Just make a wild guess. Like you mean their annual? The annual. I don't know, 10 million? <laughs> the, the CEO of the company cannot even speak proper English. He's from India, mm -hmm. South India, doing IT consulting service. Last year, turnover was $68 million. Are you kidding me? No, doing only government contracts. Holy moly. There's another company I know, and I know him personally, and this, mm -hmm. is, this company, I know them very, very personally. They've been doing government contracts for the last 12 or 13 years only, okay? Mm -hmm. They've been doing logistics, transportation. Now, they've diversified so big, I mean, you cannot Im imagine. The turnover approximately, I would say, is three to five billion dollars. Wow. Only government contracts. That's absolutely amazing yes. to me. And there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of opportunities. And, and the best part of the government contracts right now is this, I mean, I mean, red tapism goes on everywhere, but I would right. specifically, I mean, I would say federal government is a little bit more better off compared to the state and city. Mm -hmm. and local agencies, because local agencies in the state have deep pockets, but federal agency, you have the right to counter check them and you can re request for debriefing and everything. So that basically, if anything goes wrong and if you file a protest with the contracting officer, that contracting officer can be in hot water really bad. Okay. Well, because they have very strict standards for how they have to do things right. fairly and all that. Right. Yeah. And so you can ask basically what happened. And that's the best part of, of this debriefing. A debriefing basically is you go back to the contracting officer and ask the contracting officer, ask him to justify a statement and giving an explanation as to why you didn't get the contract. Okay. So that right of debriefing does not exist in the state or the local agencies at all. And so it can either help you to file a, a dispute and have them yeah, evaluate the, the yes. bids or can help you do better the next time you do a That's bid. That's correct, yes. It helps you to evaluate yourself as to what went wrong, whether the price mm -hmm. analysis was wrong or what exactly happened or what was the factor that went wrong enough that we were not able to prepare the contract. Now, contracting, uh, as, as I recall, federal contracts are public, right? Like the once they award a contract, don't they have to let people know who got the contract? Well, everything is black and white and everything is okay. published. There's nothing hidden. So where do people, if I said, I want to go get a federal contract, I want to get into federal contracting, where would I go to start looking for federal contracts that FBO. I could I'm sorry? FBO.gov. FBO, F, as in Frank, boy. Frank, boy, or orange. And orange. that has changed right now. If you just go on Google and if you type in fbo.gov, it has gone to a new place and they have got a new homepage. It's known as SAM beta, yeah, uh, beta.sam.gov. Okay. And so you go on there, you look for things in your industry. Right. And, and you, then they contact somebody like you to help them with the process, right? Yes. And then basically you'd not believe me, there are, 100,000 open requisitions on a daily basis. In all kinds of fields, not all just IT, not just federal government buys from pencils to jets. So if you could get a whole bunch of pencils, you could possibly sell them to the government. Definitely, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so give me the, th let's say, you know, could you break this process up into, you know, big categories of how how people do it what do they do first second and third you know to get a government contract so first you have to register and get yourself approved and basically to get into government contracts number one you have to be a u.s citizen mm -hmm. and if you are a woman-owned small business or a minority on small business oh you can fly and you have to be in the business for the last two years only two years only two years 
Okay. Yeah. And if you've been in business for the last two years, as a, I mean, as a woman-owned small business or a minority-owned small business, get yourself registered as a federal government in federal government database, get the company approved by federal government, and that's it. All you have to do is find the requisition in which you're interested, and that and you can procure contracts right away. So it's, it's not easy. Not, I'm not saying it's easy. Right. I mean, it's very challenging, but I can tell you one thing. It pays off. It pays off tremendously. It's unimaginable payoff. So if somebody wanted to hire somebody like you, if they were looking for a company like yours, what kind of money are they looking at? I mean, for writing a proposal, we work at a very cost, very, very cost. See, we, we, our, our goal and mission is completely different. We work for not for like a one-time contract. We, we're going to go with it. We rather have a long-term commitment with you. Okay. Because just writing the proposal is not going to end the story. Mm -hmm. so writing the proposal, assisting you to get a contract in, and assisting you to procure a contract, the main picture starts after the contract, whether you are in compliance to being compliant um, is very important. So even the person who's selling pencils has compliance things that they have That's to deal right. with. They have to be in compliance. I mean, okay. I mean, you get audited, you have to provide your accounts and everything. I mean, you have to keep your accounts separate too. Okay. You mean so like they have to have, you know, very strict accounting and... Yeah. I mean, DCA audits and everything, definitely, yes. And if you're dealing with the Department of Defense, you better be lined up, otherwise they can put you in big trouble. Okay. I see that. I see yeah. that. Yeah, you guys who want to sell pencils to DOD, yes, they may pay $100 per pencil, no, but you got to be able to. <laughs> even the selling those pencils and small things, see, it's like you're running an office, okay? Right. Mm -hmm. And those, those contracts are known as simply simplified acquisition procedures, but it, those are not even listed on the FBO. Oh, okay. I mean, when the dollar value is lower than $2,500 for the contract value, those are simplified acquisition procedures where they're not even posted. Oh, so they can basically just go to Office Depot. No, 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 no. It's like, say, for example, each contracting officer has a credit card. Let's say, for example, you are the pencil supplier, so the federal government contracting officer will contact you. I mean, your past performance make a big difference, okay? Right. Mm -hmm. And the value of the product. So basically, once they, they go do the, some research and you are a pencil supplier, so like say, for example, are you looking for a pencil 2HB? They'll send you an email, we're looking for 2HB, do you have anything to offer? And if the price is right, all they say, okay, send this 2,500 pencils to us and so-and-so thing, send us the invoice. Once you get the invoice saying the pencils are received, boom, they give you a credit card and you're paid up and why the walk away. Oh, okay. So small contracts aren't really small contracts going are through the... In the federal government. No. Got it. So when you find something in the FBO, that's going to be a bigger contract, $2,500 or more. contracts $25,000. $25,000. $25,000, yes. Okay. So you could have a recurring contract, right? You could oh, have multi-year multi contracts? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, those are known as IDIQ contracts, which I'm writing right now. As ID, it's a one-year base with a four-year option. Okay. Like, so for example, I'm writing a proposal right now for a client for janitorial services, the contract value is $986,000. Wow. Can for the first year or for with the optional? You know, for all five years. Okay. $1 million contract, come on, it's not a bad deal. No, that's not a bad deal. I think you could, I think you could do some janitorial services for that. <laughs> and you'd not believe me, janitorial services are in high demand right now. Oh, I bet they are. Very, very high demand. But also those cleaning supplies are in high demand. I want to know how they're getting their cleaning supplies. I couldn't get a Clorox wipe to save my life right now. <laughs> yes. The COVID-19 has impacted them so bad because they have to do the COVID-19 cleaning, wearing a mask and wearing the gloves right. and that. And the cost has gone up too. Yeah, I can imagine. So if you're trying to even, well, but even procuring the supplies seems difficult. Yes. And I just speak from the consumer side, of course. You try and go to the Walmart and get you a bottle of uh, 409. They say you can only buy one. Yeah. So if you have a cleaning crew and everybody needs to have their own bottle, you certainly can't run up to the Walmart and get it, you know, even in a pinch. So yeah. 
are you finding that your clients are also having trouble getting supplies? No, not exactly. They have the connections inside. They're the wholesalers. Okay. I mean, they have the own wholesalers. And, and there's certain products, which are, uh, I mean, like the federal government only wants green supplies. Like they have only certain specific brands that needs to be worked with the federal government agencies for cleaning. Got it. So, so then that helps to protect them a little bit because those manufacturers yeah. know this is for the government. We have to have, yeah. yeah. That's but, but these fascinating. Are these are big contracts. They can afford it. This is fascinating. So million dollar contract. What kind of money? You, you, you stepped away from the money question. You know, I'm getting in your pockets now. I'm trying to... <laughs> No, what would a business person need to pay you? Just ballparking. For basically, for writing the proposal, for taking everything for you, we charge only $2,500. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. And then you offer some sort of like retainer for your compliance assistance, or what does I that mean? That's a secondary factor. If in case you want to retain us, that's fine. I'm open. I mean, we work, we work on that also. I mean, we basically ask if you're a new client, basically, we even ask them for $2,500 payment for in two installments. Okay. So you make it very reasonable for people. We make it very reasonable. And, and to be honest with you, by the grace of God, touch wood, I mean, we. I mean, our clients come back to us again and again for writing proposals, anything of that kind. That's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. Well, I can't, e I don't even know what to say. You have dropped so much knowledge <laughs> about this process. I am just overwhelmed. Thank you so much. Yeah. Khalil, tell me, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you on social media and how can they connect with your business if they want help? Oh, we have on Facebook, uh, Dynamic Contracts Consultants, LLC. We have our own website, known as Dynamic Contract Consultants, LLC. Our even website address is the same, www.dynamiccontractconsultants.com. Our telephone number is 1-800-593-1730, or you can reach us at the office of the other numbers, 281-644-0509. Our email address is info at dynamiccontractsconsultants.com. So everything on social media is Dynamic Contract Consultants, LLC. Consultants.com. Uh, yeah, that's our website address, yes. Okay, but on, on social media, they'll find you with the same name. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, awesome. And the phone number, 800-593-1730 or 281-644-0509, yes? Yes. And you can always email Khalil's office at info at dynamiccontractsconsultants.com. That's correct. Cool. Khalil Maman, thank you so much for appearing on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you tune into the show on November 24th when my guest will be criminal justice reform advocate, Diane Sears. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the somewhereinthemiddlepodcast.com. And don't forget to tune in to Julia Black and Me live on Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Pacific, 4.30 p.m. Eastern for the Shelter in Place hashtag Pandemic 2020 live stream at rebrand.ly slash shelter in place live stream. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.